you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking, socially distancing, waiting on the shot, all that good stuff. As always, and uh, glad to be with us for another show. A big one today. We've got, uh, of course, as always, Michael F. Florio and producer Steve. By the way, uh, Florio, this is this is it for you for a little while. We're sending you off to the hinterlands for uh, for a few months. Um, what are you going to do with your your free time? By the way, uh, I don't know. Right now, it's like I'm going to do nothing because I I do not have that shot yet, Marcus. So uh, I'm going to keep playing it safe, but. I'm hopeful that I could get it and go see some family, some friends back home that I haven't seen in well over a year. Uh, but really, besides that, probably exercise a little bit, play with the puppy. Same old stuff I've been doing. Uh, that sounds good. Uh, and then joining us, uh, glad to have her, our friend. Uh, you know her from so many things, from NFL Fantasy Live, uh, from all of her other analytical work that she does. It's our pal, the one and only Cynthia Freeland. Cynthia, glad to have you on the show. How are things? I'm good. How are I'm just happy to see you. Happy to be around. You know, it's all good here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, we have plenty to talk about, which, by the way, I guess this is a way for me to promote the fact that, uh, Cynthia, you and I are going to be on network television in a couple of days on the uh, NFL Fantasy Live free agency fallout show. Uh, so that hits on Thursday. So we can, you know, we'll, that's a that's a way to you know, shamelessly self-promote stuff that we are doing. Um, but. Uh, we're going to talk some free agency in a little bit here on this podcast, but I wanted to get you on mostly because I wanted to talk to you about the Big Data Bowl. And we had sort of been promoting it on this show for the last couple of weeks. Uh, for those who don't know or who you know, missed out the first time, it is basically a, a large data science competition where the league offers a bunch of tracking data to uh, various data scientists. And they come up essentially with a new metric uh for us to use last year i know what it was a uh, rush yards over expectation was a thing that uh that we were we came up with this year though cynthia it was defense that was uh was on this is the first time they've done defense if i'm not mistaken correct it is we've only had three big data bowls so we're learning how to make the data available more interesting for the different groups we had like over 200 submissions from all across the globe so we're kind of working with like okay what's available data what can we potentially like? What are we trying to solve for, and how can we best set people up to succeed? And this is the first time we went to look at defense. So you said what? Over two hundred submissions. It was narrowed down to eight finalists. Uh, I didn't get to see the live stream, but I did get to see uh, you know kind of what was what came out of it, and and the, the presentations and the, the Q and A and stuff like that, which I thought was really kind of interesting for you. Um, you know, having kind of you know, been hosting it, which you did a great job hosting, by the way. Um, <laughs> Hosting it, kind of you know, being a data scientist yourself, what impressed you a lot about you know, some of the entries you saw this year? First of all, the fact that you know you have to remember that these people don't work in our industry. They don't have the domain knowledge that the rest of us already kind of think about, right? So the fact that they were able to take this tracking data that was like 
it, it can be messy. It can be confusing. And if you don't have a lot of ability to understand both like the sport and like, you know, actually we, we got a chance to talk to John Harbaugh and he put it best. He was talking about the respect for like the football guys and the respect for the data people. I found that every single submission was thoughtful. It was, you know, they even reached out to like one group reached out to Wade Phillips to ask for some real advice. Some had mentors across the NFL from different teams. Like they really did a nice job of being mindful of the intersection of like the strategy of football and what the data could tell you. Because remember the next gen stats have only been around for like five years. So it's not like they're a perfect science to begin with. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of imputing. And by the way, we, we can't give them all of the data. They only get a small subset to begin with. So the fact that they were able to come up with some really great insights with kind of like all these limitations was so inspiring and so cool. You know, so you mentioned like a lot of these people don't necessarily work in football. I know there are a lot of people who said their their favorite sport was maybe something else, was hockey or, or whatever. Um, do you think there's maybe an advantage to not necessarily being locked into football and thinking in a football way? I feel like sometimes maybe coming at it with less of a football perspective maybe gives you the freedom to to think a little more creatively. I don't know. Am I, am I weird like that? No, um, I was actually, so there's kind of, there's two ways that the, that the competition is divided up. There are people who are currently in college. So imagine like, these are like, they have no idea. They've never had like a, a full-time job before. Right. And then there are people who are, are open competition. And many of those people are actually data scientists with like a data science title. And I actually thought that the college participants and the college entries were so creative and so you know, I look at it and this is kind of like a secret of the big data, but we're trying to get people hired. We're trying to create a good pipeline for jobs in the league jobs for, I mean, you see, there's, there's a bunch of women. There's a bunch of like people, like, I didn't play football and there's people who look like me in it. Right. So, you know, it's the creativity around, you know, the thoughtfulness to ask the questions, the thought, like the fact that like they don't come from the fact of being like, I know it all. Like, I just know, like I've watched Julio Jones for 15 years and he's never going to get in the end zone. Like, you know, you don't have as many of those biases that really kind of can limit us sometimes. So it was really, I think you're right. Like there is definitely something about not already thinking, you know, the answer. All right. So the winning submission this year, uh, it's called a framework for accessing individual defensive defensive performance in coverage. Uh, a, a group of four guys who put this thing together. Um, now, obviously for our selfish, greedy fantasy purposes, we always tend to look at things through an offensive lens, we're always more worried about offensive metrics and that sort of thing. But I, I'm trying to figure out, I feel like there's a way that we can sort of use this to our own selfish purposes. I mean, when you look at it, do you find a thing that works for fantasy when you're looking at something like this? Totally. So first off, one of the guys in the group, my favorite kind of story was like, he got tricked into becoming a football fan because he, because he like his friends brought him to a Super Bowl party and like he had no interest in it before, but then all of a sudden he was like, okay, I guess this is kind of fun. And we had one of the judges was from the Browns. He was actually a past winner. And this guy was like, so then I became a huge Steelers fan. And we're like, uh. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So, um, but what they did that was really cool was um, they, they actually thought about not just, you know, nearest defenders, but schemes. So they had a bit of man and a bit of zone that was peppered. And that's, it's very hard. It's, it's hard to know if it's man or zone. It's very hard to know that, right? For all of us, it's hard to know that. So one of the ways that you could use this is to really think about, like, if you want to stream, it's probably not for your wideout one or your your draft decisions, but you're streaming a wide receiver or you're choosing between who to play on your bench and who you should 
potentially roster this week. A metric like what they came up with would allow you to say, okay, it's basically think about like the potential for there to be separation. So a better potential for there to be separation and a receiver who's known for separation. Well, yes, you're going, you're, I'm flexing you in as opposed to, you know, putting you on my bench this week, even though maybe on paper, it's a scary team like the Patriots, but maybe their man doesn't work against the types of routes that this receiver runs. So the fact that they had that thoughtfulness towards scheme and matchup was really, was really helpful. Yeah. I, I just, look at, I, I feel like just any way we can get smarter doing this, I think we're all going to be better off potentially, which kind of begs the, the last question I got about this is how much deeper do you think we can sort of go with this data science and these metrics that, that folks are working on right now? I mean, the fact like the, the interesting part, the fact that like, so this year in particular, I've spent a lot more time personally, and I'm I'm a media data scientist, right? I do work for teams in my spare time, but this this off season, nobody has good ways to measure things that we typically have some like benchmarks for. We we all kind of know that like the forty is kind of it's more showmanship, but there is some merit into falling between like an acceptable range, right? Of running it if you're looking for wide receivers, for example, or corners, and when we don't have in the absence of like this we've always done it this way and blah, blah, blah. In the absence of that, people are getting really creative with searching for solutions. And the really good teams, like re- there are some really smart teams who are saying, well, now it's time that we can throw out some of these paradigms and we can start looking at things in terms of like, what, what do we already have and what are the holes in our data? Because, you know, it's not really about getting to perfect. It's getting like a little bit better each time, right? So you can see it from draft stuff, but that will infiltrate into in-season stuff, right? being able to pre-snap motion. Let's talk about Curtis Samuel and pre-snap motion, right? That's going to make it totally different for Ryan Fitzpatrick and thus Terry McLaurin than it has in the past. And that's stuff that we can now measure. So it's really more about piecing together, like what the the blessing for COVID and we got to find all the positives we can. And in this weird season with a lot of shortcuts and whatever, one of the things is to say, okay, like, let's be creative about the assets that we do have. And the data is one of those assets and people are becoming even old school coaches are becoming even more kind of accepting of being like, all right, let's like come up with a framework to do a little better. I think that speaks a lot to when old school quote unquote football guy uh, (laughs) is starting to buy into it. Then I think you really know uh, that it's, that it's making inroads as a thing. So um, if you missed it, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, uh, if you are a, a stats nerd, if you aren't though, and you just kind of want to see something different and get a little bit smarter, go check it out. NFL.com slash big data bowl. It's an hour long presentation. You can even watch any of the individual presentations. There's a whole lot of information there. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's totally worth checking out. I have All to right. give Python. I have to give Hy- before. Sorry to interrupt you, but I have to say Python crushed producing that. Let's be honest. Like, I don't know if prior to this, Python would be like, you know what? I really want to like produce like the heck out of this like nerdy like math, like like analytics con. I don't know if I want to be in charge of analytics con, but he like crushed it, hit it out of the park. Like the reason that it's actually enjoyable to watch is because Hytham just totally crushed it. So I have to, you know, give credit where credit's due there. That's our bud, our bud Hytham Kalani, who has uh, done great work here for a long time. My pal, my friend. Uh, really smart guy who uh, basically tries to downplay it. I asked him what's interesting, what I should keep an eye out for. And he's like, bro, I went to art school. I don't know. This is all over my head. Uh, but he did. He did a great job of it. He crushed I, it. Crushed it. Uh, all right. So 
Uh, let's talk some free agents here uh, as we continue with the free agent frenzy, I guess. The frenzy has sort of died down a little bit. Um, as we speak right now, and obviously this could change, some of the best free agents still out there. Running backs, you got Duke Johnson, James Conner, James White, wide receivers, T.Y. Hilton, Sammy Watkins, Antonio Brown, uh, all still out on the free agent market. But let's hit some of the big news that's happened since we last uh, talked to you on this podcast. Maybe the biggest is that Kenny Galladay has landed in New York. He signs a deal with the Giants. We were sort of waiting to see what happened, right? He was sort of the maybe the big domino that was going to fall in this whole thing. So now we know where he goes. Uh, he works with Daniel Jones and that crew up there. Florio, let me bring you in here. Please tell me why I should be excited about this because I'm just I'm just sort of mad. Tell me why I'm what am I missing? Why I should be excited about Kenny Galladay in New York? Well, first, I'm sorry, Cynthia. I know you are a Lions fan, and and him going to New York isn't great for Detroit, but. I think he's a lot better of a real life fit for the Giants than I think this is for his fantasy value. Like he is not a huge separation uh, creator. So like he relies on, uh, you know, like going up high and and catching the ball at the point at the catch point. And he is a huge catch radius and and he is a good, going to be a good weapon for Daniel Jones who already throws into tight windows at a pretty high clip, actually even higher than Matt Stafford has been in the last couple of years. So I think anytime you can get a receiver of his caliber with all this stuff that he can do for an offense and for a young quarterback, I, I think it helps a lot. But for fantasy, I think this is a clear downgrading quarterback from Stafford to uh, to Daniel Jones, and I, I just don't love the Giants offense as a whole. And I, I, I can get Kenny Galladay being still a useful piece that you want to take as your wide receiver too. But he was going off the board as a wide receiver one last year with really high expectations. So I, I think you could get excited for this as a Giants fan or as you know a Daniel Jones supporter. But for if you're just a Kenny Galladay fantasy fan, there's not a whole lot to get excited for in my opinion. Uh, I mean, all right, Cynthia, I mean, does this does this do anything for you when it comes to Daniel Jones? Does it get you more excited about him this year? No, I look, I think it's the interesting thing here is how much they paid for him, which means they have huge expectations. And they also, given how many, like how much money Gettleman spent in general, I think his strategy is like, uh, I'm going to pay now because then next year when the salary cap goes up, I've already gotten him for 18. And I, I don't know, I think it's like a I think it's an interesting logic that he's taken. Maybe not helpful, but I would like him to be writing my paycheck. But ultimately, um, I don't think for fantasy purposes, like I'm also very weary of Galladay can stay healthy. Um, I'm not in this offseason where we have less ability to vet any of that stuff. I I, it just seems super risky, like unless you're getting a good value for him. But he's I don't even know, like he's a wide receiver, too, that I think has way more downside than up. It's not a great offense for, you know, it's going to be Jason Garrett's offense. That's what it is. We already know. And I don't know if the O-line got better. Sure, you get Saquon back, so that'll help a little bit. But Daniel Jones can throw into tight coverage, but that doesn't mean it's a good throw. So I, I don't know if I necessarily – I don't know. This is like – to me, he's like wide receiver three probably. And I'd be like, uh, draft. I, I feel like as this process <laughs> sort of went on and we were waiting for Galladay to sign, I got the feeling that us fantasy folks – love him way more than maybe real NFL people. And like, and that's not to say that they, that they think he's bad. I mean, I think everybody understands that he is a quality football player, but I do think there's much more excitement and much more love for him on the fantasy side of the game than on the real side of the game. And I think that sort of bore itself out 
with the way negotiations went, with the deal he ultimately got in New York. Now, for me, I look at the rest of that receiving core. I look at Darius Slayton. I look at Sterling Shepard. And it's hard for me to get really excited about any of them there because I think they're all they're all sort of kind of mid-level players, right? And they're all going to sort of you know cannibalize each other, take food off each other's plates. Um, and I'm just sort of underwhelmed by the whole thing. I guess I could throw Evan Ingram in that group too, right? Because I know he has tight end next to his name, but he sort of has wide receiver tendencies. I look at that and I just sort of get uh, just kind of meh about it. So, I mean, I'll ask you, Florian, which which one of those guys do you take first? Is it still Galladay or do you decide maybe even just to wait and try to get a value with one of the other two? It would be Galladay if I was to take any of them first, but I don't anticipate on – I'm a, much like Cynthia. Like, I do not really anticipate drafting a lot of Kenny Galladay this year because I'm just – I think it's a downgrade for him, and I'm not nearly as excited as I was in years past. Uh, of those other receivers, I would say Sterling Shepard I think is the best because uh, I think the move from Golden Tate to Kenny Galladay is a natural improvement for Sterling Shepard because he is so much better – in the slot than he is out wide. And last year they asked him to play more out wide than ever because Golden Tate was occupying the slot, but he is now gone. Slayton and Galladay become your clear outside threats and downfield threats. So that could potentially open stuff up across the middle for Sterling Shepard. But when they signed Galladay, I, I put this on Twitter. I said, all right, Saquon Barkley is probably going to, he's an early first round pick. Kenny Galladay is going to get drafted. Which other Giants player can you get excited to draft in fantasy? Cause I don't think there's really any. No, I would agree. Uh, and then as our resident Lions fan, Cynthia, I just have to ask you, does this mean TJ Hawkinson is just, he, is he through the roof now? Does he get all of the targets in Detroit now? Yeah, I mean, if there are going to be targets, I feel like Jared Goff might just be flat the entire time. It's, it's very, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm tech, I don't know if I'm a Lions fan anymore. I'm really questioning this. I, I think I might be joining Bill's Mafia. Not kidding. I, they're just the best fans on the planet. So, I mean, look, TJ Hawkinson is a special tight end, but, I've seen almost nothing from them that I think is impressive, like whatsoever. So it's going to be, it's going to be a real, you know, kneecap biting scenario. <laughs> As a Bills Mafia supporter, Cynthia, we will welcome you in open, with open I'm arms. I'm telling you, like, you guys are fun. Like, you guys are <laughs> hilarious. Like, a lot. I mean, you guys are a lot, but you're fun. And they've been fun win or lose. I mean, even when it wasn't oh, great, it's sure. still having fun out there. Yeah, are you willing to jump through a table? Why not? Yes, of course. That seems like like a, a low price of entry to me. Like, of course, where you're good. I mean, All the yes. emotional pain you've suffered as a Lions fan, what's, what's jumping through a plastic table at this point? Seriously, it seems like fun to me. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, all right. Uh, what is not quite so fun right now for me, the Houston Texans backfield, they signed Philip Lindsay. This is not long after they signed Mark Ingram. They already have David Johnson there. I mean, I guess they've cleared up some space because Duke Johnson's no longer there. But I mean, all right, Cynthia, who, who would you rather between David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram? Uh, you know, if, if you had to pick one, who would it be? I'd pick Philip Lindsay, but this year, my drafting strategy is going to be like anyone who's on a team that's run by people with narcissistic personality disorder. I think I'm going to try to stay away from. <laughs> so I'm really not going to be taking any I'm of the Texans. Totally right yeah. yeah, like no more narcissists. Like I've I've learned a lot about that during um during COVID. So I'm just like done with all of it. So I feel bad for any of them on that team. Like I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here, but. I think they're they're making some really interesting decisions when it comes to their backfield. But you, know, you are they just are they going to like just run the wildcat? Like, where, like what are we doing here? Like, I, it, I mean, I know Tyrod Taylor's there, but 
Okay, we'll see. No narcissists in my lineups. No narcissists 2021. That's uh, mm -hmm. that's the motto that's right now. Strategy. It's a good teammate. Uh, um, I just my fear is that they're going to somehow try to use all three of these guys, oh, they right? Are. For sure. They're they're invested in David Johnson. They've made an investment in Mark Ingram. They they add Philip Lindsay. I just can't imagine that they're, you know, these aren't just camp bodies, right? You don't sign these guys this early in the process and have them come in to be camp bodies, right? They, you are expecting them to make an impact. A three-headed scenario is honestly the worst thing that we could possibly imagine here. The other part of it, though, Florio, is what happens with Deshaun Watson, right? Now, obviously, there's the, you know, the whole issue of whether or not he wants to be traded and, and if he wants out now, you know, we've got away from the field uh, a number of these allegations and these civil lawsuits that have been brought to him uh, for improper conduct and, and, and just you know, illicit behavior, all these, these accusations that have popped up. So there are a lot of clouds around Deshaun Watson. If he's not there, how much more awful does this all look? They, th this offense, I think, could be the worst in football if Deshaun Watson is not there next year because you're going with, with Taylor, and if anything happens to Taylor, then you have Ryan Finley backing him up. I mean, we've seen how bad offenses can get when Ryan Finley has to be asked to come in and lead them. Plus, in the receiving game, then you have Brandon Cooks and not a whole lot else, so he's probably going to get double teamed at a whole bunch. And then in the running game, like, that could be a one the one spot in this offense that maybe you could trust if they had one running back, but they have three. So it just makes it such a headache. I, I could see Mark Ingram getting cast aside pretty early like he did last year, but I think out of the gate they are going to try to get all three of these guys used right away, which means none of them are really that useful for fantasy because maybe David Johnson leads them, but I don't feel confident picking anyone that could lead them in touches in any week. Whoever's going to catch some passes because their strategy is awful. Like who's going to, their defense has no one to stop anything. So teams are just going to run on them. So then they're going to throw, presumably you have, I, I don't know. I think you just, you take the, you know, you take the defense playing them every week, just stream whoever's playing the Texans. I mean, it sound I like a team that could use a lot of draft picks. If only they had someone. They, could they had a few somewhere along the way. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine. I mean, they traded DeAndre Hopkins, right? They had to have loaded up with some first round picks for that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You you would think. Ooh. I mean, so if there's, I mean, with, with Brandon Cooks, if Deshaun Watson is there, Brandon Cooks is a nice piece. I mean, if there's no, if there's no Deshaun Watson, I mean, Cynthia, is there anybody from this team no. you would? Think about drafting. I don't want anyone from the Texans, even if it's like the, you know, when that thing, you know, every once in a while when you're drafting, like there's that one player that's like stuck on the top and you're like, dang it, it's round <laughs> seven and they're still, dang it, dang it, maybe I should just take that. Nope. Even if that, it's like, oh, does it say Texans? If it's not Deshaun Watson, I'm, no, uh -uh, fade. I'm just, totally I'm just imagining, I just imagine, I'm, I'm going to imagine just a log jam of Texans at the top of my queue yeah. <laughs> during <laughs> draft season that nobody, fade. nobody fade. wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna be like the Cheez Its in the break room, the bags of Cheez Its that just sit there and nobody ever touches. That's that's what it's gonna be. Um, maybe a slightly better situation is in Seattle. Chris Carson is back. Uh, he resigns there. When it looked, at least for an hour or two, like maybe he was gonna go to Miami and sign with the Dolphins, but but he hasn't. Uh, Flora, you're the one who I think brought this to my attention that people have talked about him as being sort of a a fringe RB one with an RB two draft value. I went and looked yesterday. And on fantasy football calculator and his draft value was like very end of the third round, almost the fourth round, which maybe that was, you know, maybe the, you know, the, the re-signing in Seattle hadn't quite caught up yet, but please explain to me why Chris Carson feels so undervalued all the time. 
because he is like that is the simple answer I, I jumped in a best ball draft this weekend just because i wanted to get a feel of like where these new players on new teams were gonna go and he went in the fifth round and if he goes in the fifth round come august like i'm gonna draft him there every single time because the the thing about carson is yes he he's probably not going to give you 16 games he never has in his career but when he's on the field and he's played 14 games before like 12 games he gives you RB1 numbers most times because he's going to get most of their ground opportunities. Uh, Carlos Hyde is gone now, too, and he was eating into them a little bit last year. If we're not trusting Chris Carson to stay healthy, there is 0% chance I could trust Rashad Penny to stay healthy. Um, and the other thing about Carson was in years past, they weren't really throwing him the ball. That changed last year, and Russell Wilson started to throw him the ball more. And not just, you know, these, like, little short screens. Like, there was some plays where he was getting – like 10 plus air yards on the throws to Chris Carson. So to me, I think Carson can easily return RB1 value as long as he stays healthy. And you are never going to be asked to pay that price because I'm guessing injury concerns, but I don't really know why everyone is so low on Chris Carson. I mean, um, yeah, no, nothing's changed, Cynthia, right? Like ostensibly everything's the same. All the pieces are in place. Like I just don't, I don't understand it. I think it's possible that Russell Wilson runs less this season and they, and they stop asking him to do so much which would theoretically mean a healthy Chris Carson would even get more opportunities because I think, you know, I think part of what happens with Seattle and we see it every year is like there's some distraction of some sort, right? Is it a defensive end that doesn't want to come back? Is it now Russell Wilson, maybe going to the bears that comes up or all these weird things. And then we kind of like, don't think about this offense. Like you're just like, Oh, Russell or nothing. Right. And then you kind of don't know where to put the TJ, you know, the, the, the locket and the, you know, you like, and you're like, okay, well, what, what do we do? Like, you know, Tyler Lockett and whatever but like to me I think you just look and say it's probably going to be pretty close to the same if if not a little bit more running opportunities for other people keep him upright I I mean I do think that we're going to see Carson's draft value kind of go up I think I think we'll see him kind of bounce back to the third round again because he's back in a situation we're familiar with nothing has really changed um, but I do wonder Florio does this what does this do for Russell Williams value Russell Wilson's value up, down, about the same? Does this does this have any impact at all? Um, for me, it's still about the same, although I, I think what Cynthia said uh, is something that I am worried about. Like, if he is going to run less, and I think they have incentive to ask him to run less because he said he doesn't want to keep taking all these hits, that is going to hurt his fantasy value because we talk about it all the time, how, how much value these quarterbacks who can run really bring. So for me, last year I had him in, like, that second tier with, like, Dak and Watson and Josh Allen's in that tier, Kyler Murray. And I will have him in that same grouping again this year, but he will be the last of them all because I think for me, he comes with bigger question marks. Deshaun Watson comes with the biggest question mark of them all right now. But him aside, uh, Wilson comes with more questions because I worry about him running less and the team just running more, which would mean less passing opportunities as well. I mean, by the end of the year, I, I kept saying it was hashtag let Russ hit the drive through. Um, they asked him to cook early in the year. Uh, it started off well. Then, you know, he broke a few eggs and, and burned the toast a couple times. And they were like, okay, maybe, maybe not cooking so much. Uh, and I feel like that's going to maybe continue into 2021. Uh, another of the big wide receiver dominoes we were waiting to fall was Juju Smith-Schuster. There was talk that maybe he could end up in Kansas City. Instead, he stays in Pittsburgh with a one-year deal. When I saw it, I turned into... Uh, the old character from SNL, the drunk girl you wish you hadn't started a conversation with at a party. I saw the sign and I was like, what? And like, why? 
um, it just, okay, I mean, help me out, Cynthia. How are you valuing Juju in drafts? Considering last year he ended up in the top 20, but it was kind of a frustrating ride to get there. And it's sort of like Seattle. Nothing much has really changed offensively. I mean, do we draft him as a, a top 20 receiver or, or do we count on him to, you know, can he, can we count on him to repeat that this year? Okay, so the math showed that he was running shorter routes. He was using that quick passing game. It was a function of kind of how they used Ben Roethlisberger differently. His air yards per target was like the lowest among qualified receivers. And he had been like, you know, three yards more on average in the two seasons prior. So you saw a difference in use. The second thing that is not so mathy, but I kind of think is interesting is He's now incentivized to go, like, he needs to go make his money. He wanted, I know he wanted a lot more money than what he got there. And so he's on a prove-it one-year deal and an opportunity to take advantage of a presumably heightened salary cap situation next season. So if you are the type of person who believes that incentives make someone better or incentives get, like, do you want that bag, Juju? Because if you do, then you need to play this year. So I think because he's in a system that he's familiar with, I actually think he'll probably end up, I think he'll end up better off than last season. Now, do I think it's going to be like crazy top 10? No, I just think it's going to be like, I actually think he'll end up 15, 16, but it won't be so like, uh, to get there. If that makes sense. I mean, Florida, you, you were the one who I think who basically said they turned him into a tight end last year with the, the way they used him. Uh, I mean, will he be more of a wide receiver or is he still going to be that? I guess the corollary to that is, does this does this make you feel any better about Ben Roethlisberger and the elbow that seemed so problematic at the end of last year? No, it doesn't because they they're just keeping the, to me at least it looks like they're keeping their offense the same. And I know like I've seen people point to like oh pitchers in other sports their arms get stronger the second year outside of the surgery than the first. And I'm just like well Big Ben is a 40 year old quarterback he's not like you know a 25 year old starting pitcher so. To me, that comparison doesn't mean a whole lot. And last year, they, they clearly built this offense into Ben just getting rid of the ball as quickly as he possibly could. It was like two and a half seconds, and the ball was out of his hands. They still have uh, Claypool to be the deep threat there. So my fear is that uh, Juju is going to play a very similar role to how he did last year, and that is just not good for fantasy. And I get it, like, why he would want to re-sign with the Steelers. But, man, he had a one-year opportunity to go play with Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. He could have got paid next year if he signed there, in my opinion. So uh, I get it. He wanted to stay in Pittsburgh. He says he wants to play there his whole career. But I would have been much more happy for fantasy if he uh, had signed with the Chiefs instead of the Steelers. The other part of that, you know, quarterback versus pitcher analogy is that you know if Clayton Kershaw were to have elbow problems he also doesn't have to deal with Miles Garrett coming after him trying to hit the year either um you know, it's a little bit of a different scenario when you're talking about that I I worry I do I just worry about this offense in general which sort of hurts because I love all three of their wide receivers I like Juju I, I you know we saw what Chase Claypool could do at his peak last year those big plays you know, I, I think Deontay Johnson is the consensus number one receiver in that offense. He's got the skill. He's got the ability. But, again, if if Roethlisberger 
is struggling to throw the ball downfield, if he's struggling to, to you know push the ball outside the numbers, then it ends up just being a difficult situation for all of us. I guess add to it the fact, too, that we're still trying to figure out what their running game is going to be. I know it wasn't necessarily great last year, but as I mentioned, James Conner is still out there as a free agent. I don't know that anybody is necessarily in love with Benny Snell. Anthony McFarland was kind of a nice complimentary piece. Um the days of the old killer bees in Pittsburgh are long gone. I mean, Antonio Brown's a free agent. Le'Veon Bell, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he's, he's essentially done. Uh, this offense is just not what it was. I say that, and I know that at some point I'm going to be on the clock in, like, the fifth round, and Juju's going to be there, and I'm going to freak out, and I'm going to take him, and then I'm going to be mad at myself. <laughs> I just know this is going to happen. <laughs> um, the connection. Yeah, man. It's you know, I, I always I always fall for the Trojans, man. I'm always a homer. But, but you know what? It doesn't matter now because we're a basketball school. Uh, we beat the, snot out of beat the snot out of Kansas on Monday night. Uh, the Trojans are officially a basketball school. That's all there is to it. Um, last signing of note: Josh Reynolds uh, leaves the Los Angeles Rams. He goes to Tennessee. Now joins the Titans. Uh, Cynthia, ostensibly, he's taking the spot left open by Corey Davis, who left and went to the New York Jets. Can we expect a Corey Davis-like performance for him uh, in Tennessee this year? I would hope so, but I think, you know, no. I, I just don't think he has as much of the – I don't mean to, like, that's eh, just an answer, right? So, you know, the when you look at see what happens when he lined up in the spot that he's going to be asked to line up is presumably wide, and – I don't see him being as great of a route runner, at least not as precise. I saw he's obviously good with play action because that's what they did a lot of. So the resume and the fit could be good, but I don't think it's going to be coming out of the gate quite as strong as what we kind of saw from Corey Davis. Although Corey Davis did underperform quite a bit for kind of where he was drafted versus what ended up happening with him. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's about managing expectations. So for Josh Reynolds, I think it will be, I think it will be good. I don't think it's going to be like this home run where you're like, Oh dang, like, now Tennessee is a passing monster offense. We don't even need Derrick Henry. Like, no, not even, not even close, right? So I think that's going to be – like, I think that's a really nice piece. Like, if I had to give it a grade out of 10, I would give it like a 7, like a solid 7. So now in, back in Los Angeles, Florio, I mean, you know, this opens up obviously something for Van Jefferson, who we saw step up and make plays late in the year. So you've got Jefferson in there. You've got Matt Stafford, who we think is going to make this more of a vertical offense. Um, does this mean you're in late round draft pick for Van Jefferson this year? Yeah, I, I like Van Jefferson a lot, but the Rams had to do what teams do, right? They have to just throw a wet blanket on players that fantasy players are excited for because they went out and they signed Deshaun Jackson, who I know we could like make jokes about, oh, he's played five, literally has played five games the last two years. But when he's healthy, he is still one of the better field stretchers in the league. And that is now more competition for Van Jefferson than there was a couple days ago when he was still a free agent. So I like Van Jefferson. I think all three of those wide receivers, Reynolds, Jefferson, and Deshaun Jackson, all are kind of similar in the sense that they could be like late fantasy, like late round fantasy flyers that are field stretchers and have a big day occasionally, um, which to me, it's kind of a cop-out answer. But these are all really nice best ball targets, I think, and not someone that you're going to want to have on your roster and try to figure out, like, is this the week he's going to catch the long ball? Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the cop-out answer is always like, he's great in best ball. But to me, <laughs> Sean Jackson is the original. He's great in best ball. Like, he's the original one, right? Like, we should, whoever is, like, the biggest best ball variance for, you know, 
over the season should get the Deshaun Jackson award, right? Like that's <laughs> what it should be at this point. Um, I'm not so worried about him. I feel like, you know, obviously he does have some value when he's healthy and on the field. This feels sort of like a homecoming, a chance for a guy to kind of end his career at home in Los Angeles. Um, that's sort of how this feels to me. And I still think I would, I would tend to throw the dart more at Van Jefferson uh, than worry about, about Deshaun Jackson at this point uh, in, in his career. Um, before we, we wrap it up, I just wanted to, you know, come, I wanted to find some interesting things to sort of wrap up the show with. And I came up with sort of a couple of birthdays. One uh, is to our pal Maurice Jones Drew today. It's his birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, you are one of the few Bruins that I will uh, give props to <laughs> on the occasion. Um, love the fact that what I love about MJD is he is maybe the biggest trash talker I've ever met in my life and will not back down. Um, there's a reason I have a picture of him wearing a, uh, a USC football jersey because, uh, you know, we, we made it. When he first started, we made a wager. He made a wager with every Trojan alum he could see in the building uh, that UCLA would beat USC that year in football. It didn't happen. So he wore a Trojan jersey that I brought him uh, on TV for that Whose Sunday. Whose jersey but, was it? Uh, it was its number nine, which at the time was Juju Smith-Schuster. Um so he's so I have a picture That's, still in my phone somewhere. You should have made her be Reggie Bush. It just would have been no. so poetic. That would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been great. But yeah, no, I had a I had a number nine, a Juju jersey. Uh, and so that's what he's wearing there. So happy birthday though to uh, to MJD. The other one is sort of happy birthday in a way to the Cleveland Browns. It was on this day in 1998. Uh, NFL owners unanimously approved an expansion team for Cleveland to replace the Browns that had moved to Baltimore and become the Ravens. So it was on this day in 1998 that Cleveland got their team back. Um, what, Cynthia, what were you doing uh, around this time in 1998, if you recall? Well, I was in high school. I was probably like getting ready to learn how to drive, which was pretty <laughs> cool. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, that was I was probably still like, you know, I was actually probably counting down the days so we could like, I was talking about this lately. I had a lot of fun tailgating at Michigan State games. Like I'm from East Lansing, so like, you know, we like our the friends and family was to get the good food. Like, you know, I was probably already thinking about, oh, what can we do? Tailgate food for next for next fall. Big food person, you know. So now I'm I'm afraid to ask this question. Florida, what were you doing? <laughs> like I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I I was I was seven, so I was probably playing Pokemon or something. Okay. Like, that. like that seems like the the, pro, the, the prime era for me to probably have been playing Pokemon. That's actually a better answer than I thought I was going to get. I thought you were going to tell me that you were like a toddler or something and had no memory <laughs> of it whatsoever. So that makes me feel at least a little bit better. I was uh, I was probably about six or eight weeks away from graduating from college uh, at that point because I am an old. Um, and I do, re I do remember that. I remember, you know, I remember the Browns moving to Baltimore and becoming the Ravens. And then when uh, Cleveland got their team back, um, not understanding that, you know, not thinking that the Browns fans would go through two plus decades of misery uh, when their team came back. Uh, I was, I was, I was, I was gullible enough to believe that Tim Couch was going to be the answer for the uh, for the new Browns and uh, and get them. I just going. had to wait a little bit for. Had to wait. Perfect. Hey, but you know what? It's worth it because you know what things things are legitimately looking up in Cleveland. Um, oh, they, they had an awesome free agent. They've like quietly added really nice pieces to their defense that you're like, Oh, you, you could be really good. Like, and yeah. Odell comes back. So look it out. sounds like the Browns are a sleeper team. If, if Cynthia does not become a bills fan. 
they, they, I don't think I can do that. There's a, <laughs> There's a lot of misery. I don't want to put myself in a situation of like, like if I'm gonna jump ship, it's just to be like the most fun fan base. Like, yeah, I mean, look, they, know, I'm not going. I'm not like fair weather fanning it, you know, because but just most fun. They still, I mean, it's still the factory of sadness until things turn around. <laughs> and so I don't know that you want to necessarily align yourself. Like, good on you, Browns fans who have stayed loyal, and you deserve all the happiness in the world. Um, but I think it's going to be a while before you see a whole lot of bandwagon Browns fans. Um, that's just that's just my thought there. I'm going for best tailgate, and Bills seem to have that one. Bills seem to have a lot. I would say that they I, I went to a Jets Bills game in New York and the Bills fans took over that tailgate. So oh, yeah. They, oh, yeah. they know what they're doing. I totally, sure. totally believe it. Uh hey Cynthia, we appreciate you jumping in. Uh hopefully we'll do this again soon. Um anytime. You know, a long off season. So I, I hope to get you on again at some point before we're done. Anytime. I'd love to. Absolutely. And Florio, uh, we're going to miss you, bud, for the next few months. I definitely plan to sneak you in here uh, a few times during your hiatus, too, uh, because, you know, I'm just going to want your insight and stuff. And maybe just uh, if nothing else, we can talk Mets and Dodgers. for. Uh, <laughs> I, I am happy to do so. And uh, I just want to quickly not to get sappy, but say thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you, Cynthia, for, you know, accepting me and, and getting to work with people that I watched on TV previously. It's just a dream come true. So thank you guys so much. Dude, appreciate it and look hurry back. You know, don't go, don't be a stranger. Hurry yeah, back. Exactly. I don't plan on being one. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully, have you back full time uh, in a few months too, as well. So, in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill: tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember: if everything tastes like chicken, what does chicken taste like? Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask, and we will see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.